As you know, if you listen to the show, Elizabeth is hard at work shooting the pilot for The Fix. Because of her work on the pilot, she's not recording in her usual place, and you may notice a difference in the sound quality. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week we'll talk about why you should avoid assigning or accepting homework and discuss a way to make a big birthday into something that you anticipate instead of something you're dreading. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, the four tendencies, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I have to say, you never try to sneak any homework onto me. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, you don't, I don't have to give you homework because you just do everything <laughs> right on the spot. I don't, you don't need homework. Uh, <laughs> Makes it easy. I wish that were true. Um, but Elizabeth, before we jump in, we got a great update from Sydney um, on our Try This at Home of episode 161, which was to embrace the cheese. Yes, yeah, Sydney says... Shortly after I started at my job, another coworker and I were named co-vice chairs of office shenanigans. <laughs> we plan fun things for our office to do together every so often, usually happy hours or a team lunch. We recently raised the bar and planned an office dip-off, a potluck lunch where everyone brings a dip to share. If your dip is deemed the best, you win bragging rights. When we planned the dip-off shenanigan, we were a little bit worried that people would think it was dorky or that they wouldn't want to put forth the effort to make something and drag it into work or that people would feel too busy to participate. We need not have worried. Everyone really embraced the cheese and took part. We ate many delicious dips and had a great time together as a team. Well, I think this is great. First of all, I love the idea that you're in charge of office shenanigans. It's like an actual yeah. title. Um, but then also, it's like, this is a great example of, it's really fun to do these things, but people need to participate. And so gold star for the idea. And then also gold star for everyone for really embracing the cheese and participating, because then it is really fun. But you need everybody to get on board and really and really embrace it. So this, I think this yeah. is a great example. Yes. Now, Gretchen, if our show goes, the pilot Sarah and I are working on, if it goes to series, we'll definitely have to have someone in charge of office shenanigans. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I know. Like, just the word shenanigans makes me happy. It's yes. like kerfuffle. I just can't, I just can't say it enough. <laughs> um, so, Lisa, this week, our Try This at Home tip, I would say, is a little bit abstract, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's the idea of don't assign or accept homework. Mm, and what does that mean? Well, this is what I've been thinking about. So sometimes there's things that you have to do or that, you know, people are asking you to do and you know you have to do or you're asking someone else to do it and they really need to do it. But there are times when people are asking you to do things really kind of often without you quite realizing that something's been lobbed into your lap or you're mm -hmm. expecting somebody else to do something for you but in a way where it's not really clear why this is it, why is this your problem? Why is this something that you have to do and not the person who wants to have it done? Why are they giving you homework instead of doing that work yourself? And like, or why are you doing something for someone else? And I realized this when I was at fault, when I was assigning homework, because one of the things I really hate to do for some reason is figure out what time to leave for the airport. And 
You know, in Kansas City, even now, like when we were growing up and even now, it's like it takes a certain amount of time to get to the airport. And like maybe if it's rush hour, you would leave like 10 extra minutes or 15 extra minutes. But in, in New York, it's extremely complicated. There's are you flying from LaGuardia, JFK or Newark? What is the traffic like? You know, what day of the week is it? Like, there's all these factors that you have to take into account. LaGuardia is under construction. How much time should you allow for the fact that LaGuardia is under construction? And what I realized is that I kept asking Jamie, what time should I leave for the airport? Instead of thinking, like, why is that his problem to sit down and figure it out? And by the way, he never would. So it's like, why am I even right. wasting my breath? And I wouldn't. But but I was just trying to assign him homework that I didn't want to do. And that's not really fair. You know, um, it's not a good habit to be in. And I think some people do tend to do it more and or tend to accept it when other people try to give them homework. A funny thing on this scratch that's actually been solved in my household is every day, like Adam would ask me, what's the weather going to be in terms of what Jack should wear to school? Um, and for some reason, even though we both have the same phone, he just felt like yes. I was the person to check the weather. But it can, can be a hassle if your phone isn't right there. You have to go in search of it. Yeah. You know, it, it, just like everything, it becomes a hassle. But Alexa has cured that because now when he's like, well, what's the weather today? I just go, Alexa, what's the weather today? Yeah. Um, and she tells us. <laughs> so now I don't have the homework of, of digging around the house for my phone to um, check the weather every day. Well, see, but this is that's a perfect example of homework, though, which is like, why ask you? Like, it's right. no easier for you than for him. Like, that's that yeah. is what homework is. Here's another example of when I felt like people were giving me homework in a nice way. It was well-intentioned, but I was feeling like it was homework and realizing why it was causing a certain kind of reaction in me that I felt like I was getting homework kind of made me feel more at peace with the situation. So I will often get very kind people sending me articles, which I appreciate because I, I usually do read the articles people send me, but sometimes they'll say things like, I would love to know your take on this or please let me know what you think of this. And this always like gave me this feeling of uneasiness. And finally, I realized it's because I feel like now I've been given homework, which is, do I need to read this and then write like a concise, thoughtful report on what I think of it? It's one right. thing to think some thoughts, but it's another thing to like write an email to somebody and explain yeah. what you think. And then once I realized like, well, they probably are just saying this to be polite, to show like, oh, I'm interested in what you think. They're not actually trying to give me homework. So I don't need to feel like... I'm getting homework because this isn't real homework. It's just sort of politeness. And I don't, and even if they do really want me to respond to them, I don't have to accept that homework because it is a lot of work um, to yeah. read something and respond to it in writing. And so I'm just like, no, I'm just not going to accept that homework. And, you know, this also happens, again, in a well-intentioned way, with um, which we all do and have done to us, is trying to get someone you know to either read a book you love <laughs> Or watch a movie or TV show, right? We all are constantly recommending things and having things recommended. And it can feel like homework. Like, yeah. oh, God, now I have to go watch this movie. Um, you know, and you can just say, you know what? I don't watch action movies. I'm not interested. But thank you. Yeah, yeah. Or, but, but even something you're like, oh, my gosh, like seven seasons of Breaking Bad. Like, yeah. Even though I know I would love it, like I just can't, it just feels like you're exactly right. It's it's kind of the rubble in all of us, which is when we feel like we're being told what to do. Part of us is will resist. Um, I actually think about this, Elizabeth, with re with books in particular with my children, because I've noticed if I say to them like, "Oh, you should read this, you should read this," a lot of times it does seem to make them less interested in reading. So now mm -hmm. what I do is I like I'll 
if I read a book I think they'll love, I'll say something like, oh, you know, this kind of reminded me of this other book that you really loved. You know, if you read it, I'd be curious to hear what you think of it. And then I just leave it out prominently. So I try to make it, I try to ex- make a mm-hmm. case for it, but not say like, oh, you have to read this. Because then they're like, eh, right. I don't want to read it. Just, you know, like, why is my mom telling me what to read? But if I just leave it around, it seems like they feel more intrigued um, by it. Yeah, it's like, it's funny, this whole thing, it's like, it's both practical and uh, more, I guess, existential. It's like, there's practical things like, hey, why don't you call the electrician, Yeah, which people don't want, or there's like what you're saying with the sort of psychic thing of not wanting to be told what to do. Right, right, right. Well, and then sometimes I think this can take the form of looking like you're deferring to somebody, but actually you're just giving them work. Like a classic thing is when somebody, um, and somebody emailed me about this recently, like in her family, they're always like, well, why don't you pick out the restaurant? But then everybody's super fussy and it's like, Mm, it's not so easy. If it's just like you pick a restaurant and we'll all go gladly, that's one thing. But if it's like you pick a restaurant, meaning you be the person who's going to guide us towards this choice. It's like, that's homework. It's like, why should I have to be the one to do that work? Yeah, Adam and I do that to each other all the time. We'll be like, do you want to go to dinner? Sure. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Why don't you think about it on the way home and tell me when you get here? That's yeah. what we do that to each other all the time. Yeah. I mean, it because these little, and, and we've talked about this many times, like little decisions are very fatiguing. It's called decision fatigue. Mm. It's very mm. taxing to make small decisions like this. And a lot of times I think that is what we're trying to assign other people. When do I leave for the airport? You know, where should we go for vacation? Like these things, sometimes it needs to be done. But sometimes it's homework that you can decide that you're not going to assign. You know, it's like me with Jamie. Like, will you bring up, will you go get the suitcase? It's like, why does he have to go get the suitcase? I should go get the suitcase. You know what I mean? Like, why, why, who, I'm not the boss of the world um, as much yeah. as I would like to be. So let us know if you do try this at home and how not assigning homework or not accepting homework works for you. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to happiercast.com slash 164, because this is episode 164, for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we've got a happiness hack that's related to unhappiness. But first, this break. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for a happiness hack. This week, our happiness hack comes from our listener, Alana. She says, 
When I'm having a rough day, I write an unhappy list. I list what's making me mad and next to it a couple things I can do about it, which can include doing nothing at all. I don't pick any of the items to do. I just create the list. Something like, traffic was terrible. Leave earlier. Take a different route. Have a cold. Take medicine. Sleep more. Annoying person at store. Let it go. Confront person next time. I've noticed that this improves my mood the rest of the day, and when going back to the list, most items have been resolved. I'm a questioner, so this might be specific to this tendency. It makes life better knowing that there are options. Well, I think this might particularly appeal to questioners, but I think all the tendencies, upholders, rebels, and obligers, too, can use this. And, and I think it goes back to this idea, Elizabeth, that we talk about all the time, which is identify the problem. And sometimes when you're dealing with a, like a situation where you just feel furious or anxious or overwhelmed, just like writing it down and then being like, OK, so then what would I do about it? Identify the problem, identify potential solutions without putting any pressure on yourself to actually solve it makes you feel a lot better. Yeah, and I also think just being able to acknowledge it by calling it an unhappy list is is smart. It's like... You don't have to be happy about everything. You can say, these are the things I'm unhappy about. And just like venting, even if it's just to yourself on a piece of paper, is cathartic. And I think another thing that's smart about this is it reminds you of your own um, ability to make change in the world or your own Mm. ability to affect situations. And so it's like, okay, the traffic was terrible. Okay, what would I do differently next time? So it's reminding you, well, I could do, do something differently. And also it is kind of good for in the future. You're like, it, it, I think it will help you remember. Just like me, I'm giving myself a demerit again for something. It's like even the fact that I'm giving mm-hmm. myself the demerit is probably helping me do a better job in the future because just by writing it down, by articulating it in a kind of con- concise, clear way makes it easier to keep in mind. Yes. And I bet if I had an unhappy list, if I wrote down the things that were making me unhappy, a lot of it might just be that I'm just feeling peevish that day. <laughs> and I really, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like maybe I'm being um, a little ridiculous and I need to just like let things go. No, in a weird way, it might be almost like the a gratitude prompt because if you, yeah. I think for a lot of us, looking at that, you're like, I had a terrible day today. And when you wrote them down and really looked at them, you'd be like, you know what? wasn't such a bad day. If this was the worst thing that happened in my day, it could have been a lot worse. So, like, I think it, it helps put yeah. things in perspective when you see... Yeah, the feeling rage at someone <laughs> cutting you, you in, cutting in line at Starbucks is probably not, you know, worthy <laughs> of being unhappy, as it turns out. Absolutely, absolutely. So, thank you, Alana, for suggesting the unhappy list. And here we have another suggestion from a listener, a really good solution for dealing with a very common happiness stumbling block, which is when you're dreading a milestone birthday. Now, we all remember those days when you were so excited to get older. You know, you're you're telling everybody that you're six, you're six and three quarters, and now you're seven and you're so happy. But when we get older, a lot of us lose this feeling and we dread a milestone birthday. Um, Gretch, our listener, Anna, used a twist on the 18 for 2018 idea that we've discussed so often. She said, I turned 40 in a couple of months. While I've had mixed feelings about this milestone, your episode inspired me to create a 40 in 40 list, 40 things I want to do in my 40th year. Everything on this list is fun. 
losing weight, eating a special diet, etc., is nowhere to be found. It's a list of 40 things I'm honestly looking forward to doing, such as joining a book club, taking my kids to a trampoline park, and jumping with them, making homemade sticky buns, taking a meditation class, painting my nails red, etc. This list has turned any anxiety I had about my birthday into something I'm sincerely looking forward to because I can't wait to accomplish these things. That is so great. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the key thing is like she's genuinely anticipating this year because I think a lot of times, like your list and my list, I think a lot of people's list, it's like a mix of things you want to do and then a lot of things that you just want to get done. And this it's like in order to counteract the feeling of dreading a milestone, it's like, no, this is going to be so much fun. I can't wait for my birthday to come because then I'm just going to have total license to start romping through my, my, my list. Um, and so it changes the experience of passing that birthday into something that you're really looking forward to. Yeah, and I think there's different reasons that people have a happiness stumbling block around their birthday or, you know, around a milestone birthday. Like, I think for some people it's really aging and mortality, um, yeah. and, and they just getting older um, means you're, you know, yeah. getting older and that's not fun. Um, but I think for others it's about, a milestone birthday feeling like you have a lot of pressure. I mean, it's like a wedding, you know what I mean? It's like, how are you going to mark the time? Like um, Jennifer, who's producing for us today, she has a milestone birthday coming up and I think she's feeling anxiety about it. Yeah. Yes, that is totally right. I am going to be 30 very, very soon. And I'm feeling a lot of pressure about, you know, how should I celebrate? Like, should I do something that all of my friends want to do? Should I do a big thing where I see everyone? Or should I just keep it small? Should I go on a trip with a friend? It just feels like there's all these things, and I don't know if I can do them all. Right, right. It feels like the pressure of coming up with a plan. I mean, not to raise the bar on you, because this is like the most extraordinary way to approach a birthday that I've ever heard in my life. But the poet Mae Sarton, um, she wrote a series of journals, which I've read all of them. I really highly recommend the journals of Mae Sarton. But in the one called Endgame, which was the journal of her 79th year, she reflected about her 50th birthday. And she wrote, I celebrated the year of my 50th birthday by going around the world from east to west so that when I climbed the Acropolis on May 3rd, my 50th birthday, I felt I was standing at the birth of our civilization. I had come from India and Japan, so ancient Greece felt young as though yesterday. And I was like, man, going around the world and climbing the Acropolis at dawn on your birthday, like that is like, no one's going to top that. <laughs> I felt like that was really, yeah. that was really the way to do it. I've never done that. That is so cool. Yes. <laughs> Jennifer, I think, I think May Sarton did exactly what she wanted to yes. do. And I think you should do exactly <laughs> what you want to do. So if you want a big party, have a big party. But if you would rather just be with a few friends, yeah. do that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you'll remember whatever it is you do. I mean, I remember my 30th birthday. I was, I had two friends over and I think we made fondue and it was, it was very, you know, small, but I still remember it because it was my 30th birthday. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Well, you know, and we got a comment from a listener, Reagan, about um, how she's thinking about her 40th birthday. And again, like exactly to your point, Elizabeth, about like really doing what 
is right for you um, to celebrate the milestone. She said, I'm turning 40 this year. So in that theme, I came up with the idea to go on 40 friend dates throughout the year. I don't always love huge groups. And instead of a birthday party, I'd rather connect with friends individually. I made a list of 40 people in my life I want to connect or reconnect with, and I'm getting in touch to plan things. Sometimes it is lunch or a drink, but some involve going skiing or going for a walk or to a movie. It helped to make a list because so many times you don't actually plan and then it never happens. So again, like she didn't even have like a big event. It was like, this is going to be all these one-offs because that's what she really wanted. So again, it's this idea of like, think about what you really want and what would, what would change the experience of that birthday for you. So Jennifer, do you have any idea how you're going to resolve this? I feel like I have some thinking to do, mm-hmm. but now that I've heard all these ideas, I feel like I'm just going to go away from what I should be doing uh-huh. and just go towards what I want. There just you go. Got to think oh, about it a yay. little more. Okay. A little more. You got to you gotta update us, okay? Because now everybody's going to want to know what you're doing. But I don't want to add more pressure, though. No, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure, whatever you feel like. But, you know, but and I that, am dying to know. I am to, yeah, you can let us know privately, even if we, we can't announce it to the world. I will do that. <laughs> But you know what? And then just the final thing that has to be noted is you should always remember with a milestone birthday how lucky you are to be hitting that birthday. And the older we get, the more people we know who never got to reach that milestone. And so you think, oh, man, I can't believe I'm X, Y, Z. It's like, oh, my gosh, I am so lucky to be here where I am now. And so I think it's always good to remember that with a milestone birthday. It's like, um, be grateful. Be grateful that you're there. Better than the alternative. Yes. <laughs> yes. And now for another listener. We got a listener question uh, this week uh, on voicemail. Um, as always, you can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336 or 77-HAPPY-336. Or you can email us a voice memo if you prefer to send it by email, a voice memo. That works, too. And um, this week we do have a voicemail. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. My name is Hannah, and I am from Minneapolis. I actually am from Iowa, but I moved here about a year ago after graduating from college, and I was wondering if you had any advice for how to handle transitions in life. So obviously a transition in my life was having graduated last year and moving somewhere new, but this really could be for any transition in life. Something that I've noticed is that the process of making new friends and meeting new people is very slow, and while I sometimes like to have alone time and I might choose alone time, I don't necessarily like alone time if it's my only option. For example, the three people that I know in the city are gone for the weekend, so I guess I'm spending most of the weekend alone. Something that I've tried is to invest more in my work and to create a little bit more of side projects for myself but I also fear becoming a workaholic. I was wondering if you have any advice for how to handle that not-so-desirable alone time or how you can reframe it so that it doesn't take away from your happiness. Thanks. So one of the things that jumps out for me from what Hannah is saying is, like, is really the good that can come from painful negative emotions. So feeling lonely is a bad feeling. It's not a good feeling. We don't like feeling lonely. But it's a useful feeling because what it shows us is we need more friends. We need more connection in our lives. We're too dependent on too few people. And like if they're gone for the weekend, we're all alone. And so I think, you know, one way to think about it is like I don't want to I want to be happier by myself. But another thing to think about is I'd be happier if I had more friends. So what are some of the things that I could do that would expand my connections? Now, Mm. this is hard. It's one of the most common happiness stumbling blocks for adults is it's hard to make friends as an adult when you don't have 
college and school and, you know, or maybe you're, you don't work in a place where there's a lot of people who are your same age or your same situation. It's hard. But I think feeling that that sense of loneliness can help you have the energy and and push through the discomfort of trying to connect with new people and put yourself out there in various ways so that you can make more friends, new friends and network. Yeah. And it's like you can use your alone time to have less alone time. And what I mean by that is if you have alone time, you go, okay, I have alone time. I'm going to go to this yoga class because, you know, a lot of people make friends in yoga, right? I mean, you can do things that you wouldn't be doing if you were meeting a friend for brunch. You know, you could go to, you know, a hiking club or whatever it is that you like to do where you might make more friends and have then less undesirable alone time. Exactly. And another thing to think about is one of the best ways to make friends is to make friends with the friends of your friends, which is like, there's Mm. no easier way to say that. But so if you're like, oh, maybe we should join a book group or maybe let's start a book group or a magazine, you know, or a podcast listening group, or we've talked about all the different ways you can set up groups if you don't want to have a classic book club. But it's like, if you can make friends with the friends of your friends, you know, she's got a few friends can she make friends with their friends? Because that's, that's one of the easiest ways to find friends. And then you say, like, there are certain things that are kind of known for ways that people meet. One is an exercise class. Going to the dog park. I don't know if Hannah has a dog, but I know so many people who have made friends with people that they've seen at the dog oh, park. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But you're exactly right. Like, now you have the time to think about it. But one of the things to do is to think about, well, I could do certain things with my time that would help me with this issue. But then there's other things I could do with my time that, while they would be valuable, would not move me closer to solving this problem. Like working at home to catch up on my my work emails over the weekend, that is not going to help. And so maybe try to use your time in ways that might expand your circle of acquaintances. Yes, exactly. It's like working at home is productive, but it doesn't, it's not going to give you less undesirable alone time. But Which you, I love that phrase, undesirable alone time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's another thing. Uh, somebody, I remember I got an email from somebody who said, like, I know I've just moved to a place. I know that with time I will make friends. And right now I'm just trying to make the most of this time that I have, just the way <laughs> Hannah was saying, like, I want to make the most time. So are there things where you're like, well, right now I have the luxury to be able to just pick up and do this. So why don't I do it now? Because maybe in three years when my life is more complicated, I won't have time to do it. So if you want to take, I don't know, spontaneous trips or there's, you know, quirky things you want to do around your city, you know, um, take advantage of this time and, and do try to see like the possibilities in it because very likely this will change and that time won't be available. Yeah, it's a good time in Hannah's life for her to try various face masks. Let's just put it that way. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. So good luck, Hannah. It's something a lot of people think about. Um, That was a great question. Thanks, Hannah. Coming up, I give myself a demerit for not following my own mantra. But first, this little break. So, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars, and this week it's your turn to talk about a demerit. Yes, Gretchen. Okay, this week my happiness demerit um, is that I am treating a gift like a burden. Ooh. 
You remember Sarah and I, we, you and I had a listener who said her mantra was don't treat a gift like a burden. Yes. And Sarah and I really adopted that. We have it written up in our office. We're always telling each other don't treat a gift like a burden. And right now, she and I are making a pilot, which we talk about in depth on our podcast, Happier in Hollywood, if anyone wants to hear about the pilot making process. Um, But it is a lot of work. It's a lot of stress, but it's a huge gift, but I find myself treating it like a burden. Um, And it's, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be like, hey, this is what I wanted. This is the dream. I am literally living the dream. Like, yeah. it doesn't get more dreamy than this. Yeah. So, yet, I'm sitting there complaining and feeling put upon. I don't know, Alyssa, have you tried anything like make, don't treat a gift like a burden, uh, like a motto on your the home screen of your phone, or like saying it in the car whenever you're like on your way to the set, or you know, have you tried anything to sort of remind yourself of that? I mean, you do talk about it all the time. I feel like it's ingrained in your brain at this point. I know it is, and I don't have it on a home screen or anything like that. But I think it's just I get so consumed with what's going on that I just totally forget about any sort of higher-minded ideal. (laughs) You know, it's just I'm just like in the muck and I can't get out, you know, and yeah. I occasionally like we do stop and go, hey, oh, my gosh, we're shooting this scene with these amazing actors in Malibu and it's 80 degrees and I'm looking at palm trees and blue skies and it's like this great moment. And then like a second later, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, this is happening and that is happening. What am I going to do? So it's like it's fleeting those moments of feeling the gift. Um, And I want those moments to be more and the burden part to feel less um, just because I am living the dream. This is what I want. Like, it doesn't get better than this. So I need to enjoy it. This reminds me when I was a senior in college. And so we were all second semester seniors in exam time and we were all very jaded and, um, you know, complaining about what we had to do for our final projects and everything and uh, complaining amongst ourselves. And a friend of mine looked over and she goes, you know, someday we'll remember that we were complaining about the fact that we had to paint some pictures and read mm. some books. And I was mm. like, yeah, it's really not that bad. <laughs> That's funny. But it, yeah. is, it is hard in the moment not to see the burden side of things and to keep your eyes on the gift. Yeah, so I'm just going to I'm gonna try to do that. Um, you can send me texts periodically <laughs> just saying, don't create a gift like a burden. I'll put that on auto, uh, auto send. <laughs> You'll okay, get it you know, every every three hours for the night. They get that. Perfect. Happiness bully. Yes. Yep. That's your, <laughs> that's your job. That's right. Um, okay, Gretch, uh, bring us up. What's your gold star this week? Um, so you know that I am obsessed with clearing clutter. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. um, subjects. And I'm working on my little book, Outer Order, Inner Calm. And um, and one of the things that's really good about writing about clutter is it gets you totally fired up to clear clutter. And so I was I was clearing clutter with Eleanor. So I was in her room. And the space under her sink had gotten, like, all sorts of stuff was there. So we, so we cleared out a bunch of stuff. And she was so excited. And Eleanor has a very orderly soul to begin with. And so we cleaned mm. this out. And she was very cooperative because she did, she did see the value in it. But so then I left her alone and I went off to do my own thing. And I come back like several hours later and inspired by this clutter clearing. And this happens sometimes. It's so exciting when this happens. That mm. When someone sees some clutter get cleared, they get sort of project creep in a good way. And they decide to clear more clutter. And so Eleanor went through her whole room all by herself. She's 13 years old. 
and got rid of a ton of stuff, put a lot of stuff in the recycle pile, a lot of stuff in the giveaway pile, all on her own. And now her room looks terrific. And I just give her a gold star because I think that, you know, a lot of times people need someone else to kind of help them through it, especially for kids. And so it's just great to see that she just like on her own and just did it. And even though it's her room, I find that every time I even walk in there, I'm like, I feel such a sense of relief and just Mm. I'm like looking at all the shelf space she created and all the counter space because um, she just cleared so much clutter. So gold star to Eleanor. Yeah, good for her. And, you know, Gretch, in her future, she may end up clearing Eliza's clutter <laughs> the way you clear my clutter. How's, she could be a clutter clearer in the making. How's your office surviving, by the way? I know it is pilot it, season, so. I actually haven't even been in it because I've been <laughs> too busy working, so it's still wonderfully free of clutter. Um, Excellent. Uh, my, my office at work, that's a different story. Yeah. But the office at home is still pristine, thanks well. to you. <laughs> Excellent. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Don't accept homework and don't assign homework. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to the almost 30-year-old Jennifer Lai for helping us out today. Also, thanks to Odelia Rubin, Kristen Meinzer, and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, as always, it's such a help to us if you tell a friend or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. And for the resources this week, I want to remind you about Side Hustle School, a podcast by the brilliant Chris Gillibo about how to create and sustain side hustles. That's something that a lot of people want to do something that would boost their happiness so check out side hustle school it's so much fun he does it every single day um and it's really fun to hear the stories of people's successful side hustles also i wanted to let you know that each week on facebook i have a little show called ask gretchen rubin live usually it's at 4 p.m eastern on mondays sometimes it does switch but you can always look on my site gretchenrubin.com if you want to know when and that's just really fun and usually it's just like a very lively discussion about some some issue related to happiness. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.